Hey, this is Carol Lee Walker, a nearly 60-something writer living in Washington, D.C. Today, I caught up with Dr. Kevin McGinnis, my brilliant and intuitive physical therapist who's put me back together several times, most notably when I ripped two of my hamstrings three weeks before my first marathon in Jamaica. Kevin is often a collaborator in my writing, and recently he moved into my neighborhood, where it is wonderful to bump into each other from time to time. This morning we met for coffee and talked about the idea behind regressing an exercise before progressing. It's a little noisy in the background, so apologies up front about that, but I promise you'll enjoy listening to Kevin and hopefully learn something new. I always do. Please send me your comments and your ideas through my website at caroleewalker.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at Carolee Walker. My new book, Getting My Bounce Back, will be out in February 2018 and is available now for pre-order pretty much everywhere. So yeah, here you go, my conversation with Kevin McGinnis. So Kevin, thank you so much for talking to me. Really appreciate it. Um, if you could just talk about yourself a little bit first so uh, sure. people can hear a little bit about what you're about. Um, so I am a licensed physical therapist in the D.C. metropolitan area. Um, I have been working for a private surgical sports medicine group for a little more than four years now. I uh, went to University of Maryland for my undergrad, GW for PT school. Um, I'm a certified strength and conditioning specialist as well as a board certified sports clinical specialist. Um, my primary focus is on rehabilitation after hip arthroscopy, which makes up about half of my practice right now. Um, but I see anybody and everybody with an orthopedic or sports med issue. Um, yeah, that's about it. I think that about sums it up. So, um, for your patients who've had uh, hip replacements, do they tend? Is that an older population typically, or? So the the patients who have hip replacements usually range from about. 50, 55 at the absolute youngest, um, all the way up to nonagenarians. Um, there are some rare occasions where you'll see a 20 uh, or 30-something who needs a hip replacement, um, which, which is really the exception to the rule. That's typically an older population. The hip arthroscopy is usually the younger population, so that's more of what the surgery that Lady Gaga and A-Rod famously had. Um, and that's, that's to try to repair the body's inert tissues rather than replace them. Um, hopefully to avoid an early hip replacement or stave off the need for a hip replacement later on in life. It's a relatively new surgery, only about 10 or 15 years old, which in the orthopedic world is, is, is a, an infant, really. So um, when you are rehabbing, when someone is rehabbing from a hip replacement, especially if they're older, um, are, are, is this a population where you prescribe exercise Absolutely. as part of their rehab? Absolutely. Exercise is the primary component to rehabilitation after a hip replacement. Uh, pe- people are up and walking in the hospital the same day, and the focus from hospital to inpatient to outpatient is movement, is getting people walking more, less reliant on their walker, then less reliant on their cane, then walking independently, um, but, but it's, it's all about exercise. There's a little bit of manual therapy and stretching involved for these patients, uh, but, but really we try to focus on getting people independent and moving. Well, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you about this is I think I told you after I did Marine Corps Marathon, this Sunday after that I went on a run with my running partner, a short run, and I went to the farmer's market to buy bread from the 
than the bread, the regular bread seller. And I was all sweaty, as I tend to be after I run. And she said, did you just come from a run? And I, I said, yes, I did. And of course, I'm exuberant. So I said, and I did Marine Corps last week. And she said, you ran a marathon? And I said, yeah, I did Marine Corps Marathon. And she said, why would you do that? <laughs> and, you know, and I laughed because it's funny. I ask myself that question all the time. But we started to get into a conversation about this. And she said, well, I can't run anyway. And I asked her why. And she said, you know, uh, one of the reasons was she had, I can't remember, I think it might have been lupus, a joint disease, that might be like a joint disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but also she was very overweight. And so I said to her, you know, anybody can run. It's just a matter of figuring out how to get there. So I was thinking about a comment you made to me at some point in my own rehab where you talked about regression theory, which made me laugh because I don't think, you know, raising kids, I probably would, if I were disciplining them, I'd say you're regressing to when you were five (laughs) years old. So tell me a little bit about that theory and um, and how it might apply to someone either who is just starting exercise um, or someone who is rehabbing from a serious uh, injury or operation. So the idea of regression, um, as negative as that word sounds, is really all about finding an appropriate level of challenge for your client or your patient. That you can take an exercise like a squat and scale it up or down to someone's abilities. That you know, someone after a hip replacement might be just doing sit-to-stands from a chair, but that's a squat. The same way that someone who is having a hip arthroscopy and hoping to go play Division One football again the next season is doing a very heavy barbell back squat. It's the same movement pattern that we're just trying to find the right level of assistance or challenge to meet someone's current level of, of health and mobility. Um, it's an idea that I think really is originally from yoga, that they talk about using the blocks and modifications and regressions to achieve positions um, if your flexibility, balance, and coordination aren't, aren't up to like the, the standard position. Um, but it's also one that now um, CrossFit, for, for all of its detractors, has also popularized in a good way, that you can have a whole class full of people of varying abilities and ages and, and athleticisms, and someone could be doing a weighted back squat, and someone could just be sitting and standing from a jumping box, but that's still a squat, and they're both still doing the same workout, you know, regressed and scaled to their ability, either up or down, so either modifications or assistances to make it achievable. Well, one of the things that I always think about with that is it's kind of a catch-22 because even though you don't exercise for pure weight loss, it is a great form of losing weight. And if you're overweight, it seems like it's a catch-22 because that presents some problems and issues exercising when you're carrying a lot of weight. It's a a vicious cycle of your doctor tells you you need to lose more weight in order to make this feel better, but in order to lose weight and feel better, you need to move, which kind of hurts, and it's kind of like just a vicious cycle. Um, And I think that's, that's an instance where regression becomes very important, that you need to find ways to assist somebody to kind of get going that you know you're not going to be able to get everybody started at the same page and a good clinician a good trainer a good strength coach should be able to find a way around those roadblocks and find a way to provide somebody a pain-free but still challenging way to exercise Mm -hmm. like give an example so let's say someone is really overweight 
and they have never ex they don't exercise, or maybe they do yoga, but they haven't done any cardiovascular. What would be a good like starting point for someone like that? So let's say we're talking about the um, the baker that you were speaking mm -hmm. to at the farmers market, yeah. the woman who has lupus and she's overweight. She feels running is not an option for her. One of the barriers for her could be the joint pain from both what the lupus has done to her cartilage and the extra pressure of the weight on her joints and not having enough strength to counteract it. So for her, running probably is not an option right now. It might be in the future, but we could take running and remove the weight-bearing aspect of it and do maybe elliptical, where you're still putting weight through your joints, but there's not the immense uh, ground reaction forces of your foot hitting the ground and then coming off with such force. It's, mm -hmm. it's more of an easy, steady level of force on the joints. And even if the weight bearing is too much, then we take her to the bike, something that's totally non-weight bearing on the joints where you have most of your weight on your pelvis and the legs are unweighted and able to kind of get your heart rate up a little more. Even further back to swimming or a rowing machine or just some other type of cardiovascular exercise that's not pounding on her or joints. Or even like an arm bike, which is arm something bike, I yeah. did at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That there's always ways to get your heart rate up, um, but you just got to get creative with it. Yeah. So you really no, just have to find what someone's barrier is, what their, their limitation, and, and find a way around that hurdle. That kind of um, brings up a question I think about a lot, and a lot of people often will talk with me about it, is how do you... How do you begin to understand the difference between a pain that you're feeling because you're working something for the first time or whether you're having like a serious pain? That's a very good but very difficult to answer question. Um, pain is one of the more contentious topics in fitness and medicine and, and the health sciences because it's so subjective and so personal and so variable. Um, you know, it, it is someone's interpretation of what's happening in their body. It's, it's not a really directly measurable thing. It's, it's a totally subjective and, um, you know, personal report of how someone's feeling. The word that I use for people who are unfamiliar with exercise and unfamiliar with what soreness versus damaging pain feels like is threat. That if something feels like a threat to a particular part of your body, that maybe that needs to be worked through in a different way, or that your healthcare provider needs to examine further whether that's a real threat, or if that's just your nervous system isn't used to this type of challenge. Yeah. Um, because there are times when exercise can feel threatening, that someone who has a bad aerobic capacity can start to feel almost asthmatic, and that's a threatening feeling. Someone who's never done weight training before, their legs actively burn and hurt, and the joints are sore the next day. Um, but there's a certain amount of that that is acceptable. And I think that's where having a conversation with a healthcare provider who really hears you and listens and can help you work through those things mm -hmm. can be immensely helpful. That, that, that often becomes a point at which people just quit and stop exercise and say, this isn't for me, this hurts, I'm going to get injured doing this. Um, when really maybe just something about the form needs to change, the intensity, the preparation, the warm-up or the cool-down needs to change in order to take that from a threatening, painful feeling in the knees to just a feeling of soreness and fatigue and an understanding of what's an appropriate reaction to or exercise. Or just uh, doing it regularly so that your nervous system gets used to the movements. Mm -hmm. and what, one of the ideas with resistance training and cardiovascular exercise is not so much the physiological changes, but it's getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. Um, that's it's something that's been studied in pain science that I think um, studies on Buddhist monks have demonstrated 
the kind of ability of the nervous system to get comfortable with discomfort. Mm -hmm. um, that those who meditate and those who familiarize themselves with discomfort experience roughly the same levels of pain as others do, but they don't have the same secondary reaction to it. Um, Buddhists call it the second arrow, the feeling of you feel pain, but then your reaction to that pain sometimes is what amplifies or dampens your nervous system reaction to it. Understanding what that discomfort means can go a long way. And if you train regularly, you understand that that discomfort is part of the improving process. It's part of your muscles growing. It's part of your cardiovascular system recovering. But if you're unfamiliar with that, you don't train it regularly. It's, it's something that you, you don't acclimate to. Yeah, you know, that, that makes me, um, that reminds me, I think I had mentioned to you that um, I've gotten two questions from um, my first podcast, um, two questions from people, um, and I think they're good questions for you, and one is from an older uh, person who said that she's exercised all her life, all her adult life, when she worked professionally, she exercised before she went to work. But um, now that she's in her, and she's been doing yoga since she was in her 60s, now she's in her 80s, and she, um, she stopped doing yoga because she was having some discomfort related to her back. And she uh, also got a cold, and now she feels like the exercise that she did all those years hasn't amounted to anything. Because now, even reaching for a cup from her cabinet feels like it's strenuous and uh, she wonders why she spent all that time exercising so can you can you address that a little bit I mean I mean I can just tell you you know obviously she the fact that she is fit and is able to like stand up and reach for the cup at 82 is a testament to the fact that she mm -hmm. exercised in her 60s Absolutely. but of course I want to hear what you have to say about that and how to get someone back mm -hmm. from feeling so weak or frail for whatever reason I think for someone who feels almost betrayed by their exercise, like this woman does, um, it, it, they almost have to go through a grieving process and kind of an understanding that, you know, what they did was still worthwhile, but they, they're going to take a little while to come to that conclusion. And that it might be they need to change gears on what their exercise is. That yoga is a great part of a larger exercise routine, but in and of itself maybe was not a complete routine for her. That perhaps she needed to include more resistance training, maybe more Pilates type core work, more cardiovascular exercise, things to round out that program. Um, I mean, I, I personally went through something like this when I was a competitive weightlifter, that I trained five days a week, two hours a day for three or four years in one sport, just doing the snatch and the clean and jerk. And I eventually just got so beaten up and broken down by it that I, I kind of was disenfranchised from exercise as a whole for a few months um, because I wasn't doing any cardio. I was doing yoga maybe once a month. I was foam rolling every other practice, but not necessarily before every single one. And it was it was good exercise, but it was too much all my eggs in one basket, and it was not well-rounded. That it wasn't the fault of the weightlifting. It was the fact that I did not spread out my exercise and, and address the other things that could help keep me healthy. Um, and even something that's as, you know, widely regarded as good for your health as yoga is not the only answer. It's just a piece of yeah. the puzzle. Yeah, no, definitely. I hear you. I, I remember when I first started uh, a serious exercise regimen about three years ago, I had been doing yoga for a few years, sometimes three mornings a week. But it, I was, it was not what I needed. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it felt good, but 
what I needed, I hate to use the word results, but I kind of needed results. I needed cardiovascular. And so I turned my attention to that, and now I've brought yoga back in, but it's, it's the focus on one modality, I guess, that can lead you astray when, when things go bad. It is, and it's, you know, focusing on that is the reason that you see, I think, so many childhood injuries with this increased specialization in sports, mm -hmm. that kids are pitching from far too young an age, kids are only swimming from far too young an age, and, and they're not developing all these other facets of athleticism. The same thing applies to adults. Every adult should be doing some form of cardiovascular exercise, resistance training, flexibility work. It should be a well-rounded program rather than just doing what they like. And if someone just likes doing yoga, it probably means they're naturally good at it. They may have gravitated towards that because it was easy for them. It was rewarding to do an hour worth of work two, three times a week, and they felt like, oh, this is it. This is I'm, I'm doing exercise, and it's easy, and it's fun. I like this. But every time they tried to run or lift weights or do Pilates, it like kicked their butt, and they're like, oh, that's not for me. Those were probably the things they needed to improve upon to really round out their health. Um, this is something I really have to actually credit my girlfriend for, that when we started dating, she got me running and I got her lifting. And I think both of us will tell you that we are far healthier, happier, better feeling athletes now for that push from each other than we were before when she was just a runner and I was just a weightlifter. Well, I've known you when you were just a weightlifter and I think you actually <laughs> said to me, I would never run. I have no interest in running. I, I may have been quoted as saying that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. Um, you know, the other thing is I have uh, my running partner uh, who's very, very fit. She's um, been running and exercising for a long time. She has a well-rounded, uh, balanced exercise routine uh, with weights. But her question is, as she's gotten older, how do you adjust to the phrase, listen to your body? Like, how does she know, as she's gotten older, whether she's pushing too hard, uh, whether she's taking the time to recover? Um, what are some suggestions you have for someone who's in good shape, but as they get older, wanting to avoid injury? Another very good but very difficult question. Um, so for someone who's been used to just getting up and going their whole life, aging as an athlete can sometimes be a bit of a difficult pill to swallow because it often requires more focus on your nutrition than you're used to, more focus on your warm-up and cool-down, more you know, prehab-type exercises to keep your trouble areas and weak spots functioning well enough to support your exercise. Um, but it also might require maybe a little more scientific approach to how you're feeling and how you're doing. You know, most, most athletes intuitively know whether or not they're ready for a workout. If they've been working out for a long time and exercising for a long time, they have a sense of like, I'm feeling ready for a good workout or not. Um, but if you're struggling with that recovery, uh, there are some options that you can look at that might give you more of an objective look at and more kind of scientific data to support, are you ready to go or not? Um, you, I mean, you gave me that great book by Dan John, Can You Go? Um, and, and in that, they talk about like an athlete's readiness to, pro to perform and to train that day. And I think whether you're a competitive athlete or a recreational one, either finding an intuitive understanding of that internally or using some external measures um, can really help with that. Um, and some of the tools available would be sleep trackers that a lot of these fitness trackers like Fitbit and Jawbone and even some that are specifically just for sleep will, will tell you what kind of quality sleep are you getting based on the time you go to bed, the time you wake up, your movement during the night, um, 
you know, if you're really struggling, there's even, you know, medical sleep studies that can tell you how you breathe and how your heart rate and how these things improve or, or, or you know, decrease throughout the night. Um, your heart rate. Your, your heart rate variability is another tool that's becoming more commercially available to check your recovery levels. Um, and that is not how quickly you recover from exercise, but at rest, how much does each individual beat vary? And there are now starting to be some tools out there that let you measure this. And when you see you have an increased heart rate variability, that usually indica indicates a lower level of recovery and maybe a need for a rest day or a recovery day or a stretching mobility kind of day off. Whereas when you've got a less lesser variability in the resting heart rate, that's usually a sign that your nervous system is, is kind of calm and ready to go. Um, how would someone measure their heart rate? So there are some apps out there that will pair up with your um, your Fitbit or even the devices on your phone that can measure your heart rate and will give you kind of a crude readout of your heart rate variability. This is something that's still done more in exercise physiology research and it's, there's not a great gold standard available to um, athletes in the private sector right now. It's still mostly research in, in, in ex-phys labs. Um, but you can also just look at what your resting heart rate is on a day-to-day -day basis. That if you get a sense of what your resting heart rate is and you notice that it's higher than usual one day, that's often a sign that your nervous system is maybe a little tweaked that day. Maybe you're needing more recovery. Maybe you're stressed about something. Maybe that's not the best day for your high-intensity training, for your weight training. That's yeah. maybe a day for like a slower run or for a swim or for something lower impact. Um, the really cheap and easy way to do it, though, is with grip strength testing that there's also studies showing that your grip strength from day to day indicates your readiness to perform and to train. So it, even if we're talking about a cardiovascular athlete, a runner whose grip strength really has nothing to do with their particular mm -hmm. sport, um, if they were to test their grip strength with a, a device called a dynamometer, which is essentially just a pressure plate that tells you how many pounds of force you squeeze with, mm -hmm. that if you were to get a baseline of that, Good days will indicate that you're ready for maybe a harder run, and weaker days indicate that maybe you're needing more recovery. Now, is that something that a person, that any person, could order from, like online, or? And again, that's that's more of a tool available in the exercise physiology world. Okay. Um, what you could get that would be a cheap and easy way to do it is a grip trainer, yep. which has a, a standard, you know, poundage that it needs to mm -hmm. close, and just see how easy or hard is it to close that day. If wow. you can, if you can close it on a good day very easily, then you can have that as your measure of like, am I ready to go today, or do I need to maybe take it a little bit easier? Mm -hmm. Again, this this is all still like you know very early research. There's not you know guidelines and, and really hard and fast rules and numbers to look at with this, but this is kind of where the research in the ex-phys world is going to try to tailor exercise routines for high-level athletes to see if that day should be a high-intensity day or a low-intensity day. I like day. that. It's great. Well, one of, just to back up a little bit, when you were talking about sleep, is the issue with sleep that um, that's the time? I know, you know, people take this for granted, but sleep is when your body is adapting and recovering to the exercise that you did during the day, that it doesn't adapt and recover while you're exercising. Correct. So is that what you're looking for with sleep? Yes. So you need to remember that you're getting stronger when you're not training, that you're getting fitter when you're not training. It's the training that creates the, um, 
the physiological process that will make you stronger, faster, fitter, better cardiovascular endurance, but that recovery actually happens in the time in between sessions. So that's why your nutrition, your rest, your sleep, all these things, these time when your body is trying to build itself back up are really essential if you're finding that you're feeling injured more often or overtrained or not ready to perform the next time, that perhaps your recovery needs to be improved upon. And just one last question. So is there ever an age or a time when a person should not be exercising at any level? No. I, I think every adult should engage in some form of physical activity. Um, if you are able-bodied, you should be up and walking. If you are of limited mobility, you should find some way to do some seated exercise or some non-weight-bearing exercise. If you have a medical condition limiting your ability to exercise as you see your friends and family doing, get into a physical therapist's office, get into an exercise physiology lab, find someone with knowledge to help you figure out a way to do it. Because every adult should be doing some form of stretching, mobility, strength work, cardiovascular exercise if you want to live longer, healthier, happier lives. Yeah. Not everybody needs to be running or lifting weights or doing yoga, but you need to find something to get your heart rate up, to challenge your body, to stay active, to, to do maintenance work on it. Um, one of my favorite analogies, and I, and I think I've used it um, with with you and with some of my, my other runners who are struggling with you know building up injuries over time, is bodies are kind of like cars, that new cars don't need a lot of maintenance. You can get away with skipping oil changes every once in a while, pushing it a little bit longer between checkups. Um, but you know, vintage cars can still perform just as well as new ones, but you need to put in that work on Sunday afternoon to make sure that everything's you know, functioning and lubricated and, and topped off like it should be. Yeah. That you, you can't just like go out and floor it on a 1960s you know, Corvette like you would on a brand new one. Yeah. You need to make sure that things are working well first. Yeah. So we can think of ourselves as like a vintage sports car. Exactly. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Highly sought after. Yeah. Very collectible. There you go. There you go. Well, thank you very much. Um, and I look forward to seeing you in the clinic soon. And um, have a wonderful holiday. And thanks for talking with me. Thank you, Carolyn. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thanks. You've been listening to a production of My Brain on Endorphins. Special thanks to Owen Kelly for mixing and engineering and for the awesome theme music. Thanks for listening.